Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now in a stark cell a monk pleads for his life he's in deadly trouble his sin has shattered a sacred monastic rule so offensive it's kept secret. He is a Benedictine, called the Black Monks. Their funereal robes symbolize death to the earthly world. The monk promises the impossible. He'll inscribe a massive tome, the greatest book of his age. It will contain the Bible and all human knowledge. And to prove his penance, he'll write this colossal creation in one night. In his darkest hour, he makes an unholy pact he asks for help from the fallen archangel, Satan. The legend says the demon answers the monk's call. As the Gospels were guided by the hand of God, the Codex Gigas is guided by the hand of the devil. It is absolutely mad. It is loony. There are no other manuscripts like it. It was the devil they worried about much more than seeking God's approval. Its infernal illustrations and supernatural spells are said to have been produced by just one monk in just one night after he sold his soul to Satan. It contains a combination of texts that exists nowhere else. It is a most peculiar, strange, haunting, fascinating, uh, large, bizarre, uh, uh, inexplicable object. And the Codex is the only book that places the Old and New Testaments alongside violent, holy incantations. Spells of demonic exorcism. Now the results of this intriguing investigation are revealed with shocking evidence that the diabolical tale behind the Devil's Bible is, in part, true. We're here. This is Mysterious Circumstances, and I say we because I am joined by a special co-host this evening. And um, Kate, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. Sure. Uh, I'm Kate, and my podcast is called Ignorance Was Bliss. That's an IWB podcast all over the place. And I spent a lot of time thinking about various issues of psychology in true crime, and while that's always fun and fascinating to me um i think this topic we have today is super cool so yeah why don't you uh yeah it is very different and i like uh just so everybody knows this is actually our second time recording this episode because uh we had some audio problems the last time and neither of us on both of our ends could really fix it so we actually kind of know what we're doing this time around which is 
kind of nice. We had like a, a three hour long rehearsal, you know, <laughs> the first time as, as you like to put it, but it's, it's really fascinating. Um, today we're going to be talking about the Codex Gigas, which is also known as the devil's Bible. And uh, we're going to tell you the story as it's played out throughout the years, you know, the full legend, the official story. Then we're going to go into facts and break all the details down for you. And then uh, from there, we're going to uh, we're going to hit you with some theories and see what uh, might have been really going on and and all that good stuff. Because, I mean, in all honesty, like it's it's a really fascinating topic, like you had said. You know, the last time we recorded, you know, at one point in time, this was considered one of the wonders of the world. It's a really interesting topic. There's been several books written about it, a few documentaries. And I guess before I get started, I got to do that thing I always do. And, uh, you know, open that beer real <laughs> quick here. Yeah, the 24 ounce are flowing. All right. So anyway, how this all starts out is sometime in the early 13th century, there is a Benedictine monastery in Podlegica, which was Bohemia at that point in time. Uh, now it is the Czech Republic. And what happens is the story goes that a monk had broken his monastic vows and his sentence was to be walled up alive until death. It was basically a death sentence. Now, you know, back in this day, their, you know, the Order of St. Benedict, they had several small monasteries in this community, and it formed like literally a community of monasteries. And the head people in these monasteries had complete authority over the monks and the nuns within those monasteries. So they were allowed to do this kind of thing. So the monks freaking out. And I he, would. I would too. Like, that can you imagine though, like that being your death sentence, being literally just Slowly brick by brick walled up, walled up alive, just wondering just whether I run out of air or food first. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, no. yeah. No, yeah. So he realizes this and he begs the authorities. He's like, "Please, you know, spare my life." You know, he's begging, he's begging, and he's, what he says he'll do in order to stay alive, he says, I will create a manuscript that the world has never seen that contains all human knowledge and will basically put this monastery on the map. It'll glorify this monastery. He said that he could do it all in one single night. So the authority figures, the monks, the higher-ups, they're pretty much like, you know what, this probably he's not going to be able to do it. So he's going to get a death sentence anyway. So why not let him try? So as the story goes, he'll get shut in this room and he has one night to create this this manuscript. And by midnight, he realizes that there's absolutely no way that this is going to happen. So in order to get this completed in one night, he does not pray to God. He actually prays to Satan, to the fallen angel. I would angel. pray to everybody. I would pray I to anybody keep, that would listen. You know, you know, I like, would go through the whole goddamn list, as it were. <laughs> Start with biggest to smallest and just go down the line. <laughs> just go. Yep. Pretty much. And he he does. He basically, the devil shows up and he, you know, says, hey, uh, I'll give you my soul if you help me complete this. And 
the devil says, as long as you glorify me in some way and give me your soul, then I will. I he agreed to it. And the next morning, when the monk was let out of this room, what came out of this was a 36 inch tall, 20 inch wide, 9 inch thick, 165 pound, 320 pages front and back of the largest surviving medieval manuscript in the world. Still to this day, it's one of the largest, if not the largest. And what this well, contains... So, it's so incredibly big that you can't even like open it on a table. It needs you its can. own special stand. Yeah. And, you know, it's insane. It is insane. And the, the <laughs> details that are in this, um, it's not, you know, it is the author's work. And, you know, there's still a lot of debate on who the author was, which we'll uh, hear and all that good stuff. But within this book contained a fourth century version of the Christian Bible, with the exception of a couple of Gospels and the Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, which was a first century version in its entirety. That would be a, that the entire Christian Bible. They had the Jewish War and the Jewish Antiques, which was written by uh, Flavius Josephus. They had the Encyclopedia at that time, which was written by St. Isidore of Seville. They also had the Chronicle of Bohemia, which was written by another monk named uh, Cosmas, which at the time was the uh, pretty much the written history of Bohemia up to that point. Um, they had the Art of Medicine, which was you know, uh, different healing procedures um, and various essays on penitence. They had a couple of spells. He uh, had a couple of spells in there, and he also had a section of demonic exorcism. Now, how this got the nickname The Devil's Bible is because in this book, it contains a huge picture of what is either a demon or the devil. You know, it's about 19 inches tall. It's very, very well illustrated. And then on the page opposite of that, they have a picture of the kingdom of heaven, which is a full page as well. I mean, all in all, this book was exactly what the monks supposedly set out to do according to this legend because even to this day there's nothing there's no book on the planet like this like there's it's carved in wood the pages are vellum which some kind of animal hide that was a uh, you know stretched and everything like that the the illustrations there's only two full illustrations in the book uh, those are the two full-page pictures that are opposite each other. And the corners of it are metal. There's like this huge wooden emblem right in the middle of it. It's pretty impressive if you actually looked at it. But that's not exactly where the story stops. And uh, I think Kate's going to go ahead and lead us down this path right here, unless you wanted to go ahead and add a, uh, anything to I mean, what I would add to it is that as far as anybody can tell, it appears consistent just in terms of like its spacing and its 
just height, just by, you know, the layman looking at it. So, you know, it sure seems it, it at the very least you can look at it and kind of confidently say, okay, that's not patched together from seven different sources, like, like a scrapbook. Um, as for whether this was all done by one person, I think we'll get back to that. Right. But at the very least it's, it was not like everybody send me your best works and I'll staple them all together and we'll call it one thing. And that'd be great. Huh guys. The, the specific data completion is pretty much figured out by what books are in there and what are not. And a couple of references to specific historical figures and, and that kind of idea. But we're looking at by confidently by 1230 AD, this book was done. Yes. And for a little while it stayed put, uh, it, it stayed in this Bohemian monastery and they took good care of it. And, you know, you can see that there's wear and tear. Like this was a book that was used. This was a reference material. This wasn't just decorative. And so it made it for maybe, maybe 60 years, 65 years. Late 1295, this particular monastery, they were Benedictine black monks, they were called. And you had said the town that they were in, I have that down as Crudim, but I think I may have written down the easier to pronounce version of the area that they were in. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've heard like three different areas right around there. Uh, <laughs> current day, I believe it's what, right outside of Prague, Czech Republic. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. That's what I understand. But so uh, this monastery hit some financial hard times and they had to sell this book, you know, which eventually this book was considered one of the wonders of the world. So we're not talking like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks for that Bible. This was a significant financial outlay, although I don't know what that financial amount was. Mm -hmm. Um, But they sold it to what you could consider white monks in Sedlec, which was Sedlec was the one that it was near Prague. I don't know where they were. I don't know where, I don't know my geography well enough. And I missed that part looking it up. But Mm -hmm. in any case, the reason that I know that Sedlec is near Prague is because the cemetery at Sedlec is the one that is said to contain dirt from Golgotha, which is, is in Israel has to do with, Easter and Jesus and so on. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a, it's a big historical site. And then because that cemetery, like there are people buried there, but because that cemetery is considered all by itself now, super special because of its dirt and literally not like because of its dirt. And so a combination of this holy cemetery, like extra holy, super ultra mega holy cemetery. And then not terribly much longer, about 50, 60 years later, you get the bubonic plagues, which meant people were dying left, right, and center because people would say, I don't understand why everyone's getting sick, Mikey. Snuggle up to your pet rat and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and so What's going thousands on? and thousands of people die. Right? I don't understand. <laughs> and so they ended up creating what's called the, the Bone Chapel at Sedlec. And that is totally on my bucket list. Um, Real though. I have yeah. been to Paris and visited the catacombs, which is lined with bones of uh, other victims of other, uh, the plagues and also of other flooding and that kind of thing. And there, some of them are lined up very neatly and artistically. But 
it's hidden deep, deep underground. It's hard to get to. And I mean, right over the entrances, that's the abandoned all hope ye who enter here is, is mm-hmm. written over part of the catacombs. This place in Sevlak is a bone chapel that like it's above ground and you enter in and it's all made of human bones and everything is, I've seen the photos I've seen are just amazing. You know, uh, just in terms of shocking, but also gorgeous in a creepy, mm-hmm. creepy way. So pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, catacombs actually my future, uh, future wife, like I know I'm going to pick the right one. If that's going to be the honeymoon spot, you know what I mean? Because I'm into fucking weird <laughs> shit, and I love creepy. Well, I mean, you can't. Like, Let's with, go with check this out. Well, yeah, you can't stay there. Like, there's mm-hmm. no. Yeah, yeah. There's no lodging, but there you go. You know, Paris, city of love, right? Yeah. And right underground, right there's the catacombs. It was. I mean, it was my. I. I. I did not go when I was with, there with my husband just because we didn't have time. But uh, a couple years later, I was lucky enough to go back with my mother and sisters. And my mother was so, like, grossed out by our intention to go to the catacombs. <laughs> she was like, I'm going to go to Marseille for a day. So, like, I'm not even, she's not even going to just stay in Paris. She's going to leave town altogether. So, that was, that was our day in Paris. Love it. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Sorry, though. I have to tell you, I am married already. Sorry. Sorry. God damn it, Kate. <laughs> God. All the best ones are, right? Plus, I'm uh, old. Pretty much. I have four kids, and you don't want to go here. <laughs> I have two kids and I'm old too. That's all right. Anyway, for slightly before the bubonic plague, I mean, it's not, it wasn't called the devil's Bible all the time because partly because that's scary and creepy to say, right? The Codex Gigas that, that uh, translates to big book, which <laughs> I yeah. just love that. It, Cause yeah. guess what that is? It's a big book. And um, it's creative as anyway, fuck right there. It, it, it really is. <laughs> and so they sold it or traded it back to the black monks. Um, who kept because, it for a little bit longer? Yeah, because it, that monastery it, ended up going broke, right? They went broke. Well, and then you know, then I think it was my understanding. I, I did a little extra research on this because I couldn't understand. Like, are we swapping wonders of the world now? What's this deal? Because um, I could hang out with it for a little while. Cool. No, but apparently it, it kind of became its own currency in the sense that you were trading status for forgiveness of loans kind of thing. So it ended up at several different monasteries here, there, and everywhere. It also got bounced around because of the plague, because people were dying so much, and so leadership structures were not consistent. And some people have said that it it almost seems like maybe this uh, Bible has like, you know, everywhere the Bible showed up that more deaths appeared, but it doesn't actually seem like that at all. That just seems like bullshit to go with a legend. Um, and in any case, ultimately, by 1420, the big book ended up at the Brumov Monastery. Um, now we're in the middle of the Dark Ages. We're in the, you know, very, very early Middle Ages, as it were, you know, and so natural disasters, wars, disease, everything was about myths and science and, and religion. There was no or, I'm sorry, myths and dark uh, and rumors and religion. It was no science. Science was not a thing, as it were. Anytime you could find a correlation, like, oh, bad things happen when this book is here. Well, yeah, it's because you miss the good things. You forget the good things, whatever. But it, it developed a pretty hardcore reputation. And in four, by 1420, it was 
officially uh, the eighth wonder of the world. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people wanted it. And the person who ended up getting it is first, it was first, first Rudolph II, mm-hmm. which is uh, one of the Holy Roman emperors. He learned of it in, from what I understand, around 1565, something like that. And he learned of it because Nostradamus told him so. He had always been interested in the occult. And when Nostradamus gave him a reading that said he was going to end up with the biggest, most important book in the world, he was like, fuck yes, give it. He put a whole lot of effort into obtaining it. But when you have someone who is willing to do sort of that extreme sort of behavior to obtain an item, chances are they're not totally what you might call sane. And, you know, Rudolph II never had been. He had, you know, they said, I heard melancholy, I heard depressive, but then I've also, it sounds as though that he had a lot of delusions. He was into the occult from day one, which back then you didn't admit to being. So I suspect something bigger than just sort of a a kind of a depressive melancholy thing. But he put a fair amount of effort in, and by 1612, he had obtained the Codex Gigas as a gift. And then he immediately went off the deep end, uh, refused to leave his castle ever, became incredibly antisocial, paranoid. He was erratic. He, he never trusted anybody, but who he even pretended to trust would change day to day to day. And ultimately, his family was like, dude, we're done. You, you, he was banished. He was unsupported. He died unmarried, no heirs, bad stuff. So if you think about here's a guy who had dark sort of tendencies and interests and he got this book. So that's going to attach a darkness to the book in the first place. And then on top of that, here's a guy who gets it and immediately goes off the deep end. Well, <laughs> guess what? <It's laughs> that was a long time coming. For this book, you know, and it's going to, it's going to make this book look like this terrible, dangerous, dangerous thing. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, so it's another reason to be afraid of it. Another reason to think it's awful. So at this point, now we're in the middle of the Thirty Years' War to yep. try to figure out who's going to control this chunk of the country. Is it going to be, you know, continue to be the Holy Roman Empire? Is it going to be the local districts? Is it going to be some state level? You know, blah blah. blah. Yeah. And, and b- why? Uh, the just so everybody knows, if you're not familiar with the Thirty Years' War. It's actually really interesting around that area. It was from, what, 1618 to 1648, I believe. And it was yep. literally just a war between the Protestants and Catholics. And, I mean, you know, if we're going to fight wars, might as be, you know, over religion, right? Right. Well, it was Protestants, Catholics, <laughs> but it was also complicated because, you know, people didn't choose their address based on religion. And that's exactly, why yep. nobody could figure out who was going to be in charge here. Mm-hmm. It was just going to be everybody or nobody or shit. You know, and, yeah. you know, this all brings me back to, you know what? Religion is not an OK reason to fight a war. Sorry. No, it's I don't think not. so either. But, you know, if you think but about did, the, so, the yeah. aspect of it, you know, you're you're killing each other over, you know, where you believe you're going to go when you die. <laughs> Well, and you're killing each other over your belief of what the big guy in the sky looks like. And my feeling is any religion that leads to you deliberately harming another human being is not okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Everybody wants something to believe in. You know what I mean? Like the wicked get punished and the good, 
you know, get rewarded. And Rather I mean, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian. The same visual man that I do doesn't yeah. have any bearing on where I'm going to end up when I die. Well, same here. Uh, my personal spirituality and uh, practice is <laughs> ain't got nothing to do with heaven or hell. So, no, it's all about here and now. You know mm-hmm. about and to me, I don't consider myself a religious person at all. Spiritual, yeah, it's yeah. questionable. But at the end of the day, I, I boil it down to humanism. You know, it is. don't be an asshole. Mine is uh, basically karma. Yeah, every you know the karma of the universe, the balance of the universe, the energy of the universe. But anyway, yeah. back to back to the so middle of the thirty. They were killing people over whether or not you said the last line in the Lord's Prayer. That's that's yeah. pretty much you know what's going. That's pretty on. much where it came from. <laughs> and so, um, while this is going on, kind of fun, right? Right smack in the middle of 1648, whereas they're finally wrapping up the Thirty Years' War because I think in part there weren't enough people still alive to fight it. Um, much, yeah. There was sort of one of these like. Hey, everybody, look over there and sneak in over here and do this. As Sweden swooped in, grabbed this book and took off. Yeah, um, that was that was in, I think like July of like right at the very end, like July yeah, of sixteen forty eight. You know, it was it was probably in talks to end it already. And Sweden yeah. was like, "Oh shit! If we want this new toy, we better go grab yeah. it now." And they did, Spoils and they brought it back war. to one of my favorite royals ever. King Christina of Sweden. Who, Why don't you tell? Yeah, yes, tell us about king. her. Yes, yes, king, indeed. Yes, uh, female king who came to power at twenty-two years old. So she is badass on like so many different levels. Basically, King Gustav II had had already had two children die when Christina was born, and he acknowledged her femininity and allowed her you know she she got a female name but after that in in a lot of places it says she was raised as a boy she was not in the sense of like everybody knew she was a girl she dressed as a girl most of the time she behaved she learned the womanly arts Mm -hmm. as it were etiquette and she also learned how to fight she also learned how to rule she learned how to read right which is not a thing for girls back then Mm-hmm. And when she was sworn in at 22, she was sworn in as king. That makes me ridiculously happy. That's just one of those moments in history where oh, like, yeah. fuckers got it right. It's badass, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, seven years later, 1656 approximately, mm-hmm. she abdicated the throne, converted to the Catholicism, packed up her shit and left. And when this happened, she left the book behind. And there's a lot of speculation on that because it was hers and she had every right to take it. And people read into this like, oh, look, more proof that it's a terrible, you know, cursed book. But I suspect, you know what, maybe she had thumbed through it and realized I have enough of these books separate. Maybe Mm -hmm. she had gotten her royal writers to, you know, copy down the passages she wanted to keep and realized it's a whole hell of a lot easier to carry this as eight different books than it is to carry it as one. So... Again, though, people choose to read into shit. And so I think people chose to read into her decision to leave it behind as like, oh, my God, it must have been cursed. She knew somehow she knew. Yeah, I no, I don't think so. But it had another approximately 40 years of quiet time 
which people forget yep. that there was uneventful chunks of history. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a good thing. We like, you know, there's a Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. That's a terrible, mean-hearted curse right there. My God. There's nothing worse than being in the middle of interesting times. <laughs> exactly. So the next interesting times for this book happened in 1697. Again, pretty much in the middle of the year, May 7th. And uh, King Charles XI, uh, he died just a few days before. His body was still in the castle. Mm-hmm. But people are mourning. People are tired. People are distracted. There's a lot of gossiping going on, I'm sure. What's going to happen next? Oh, and yeah. in any case, the castle catches fire. And fire was a big, bad deal back then. And yes. and I think a lot of people kind of forget that because they look at these huge stone buildings. And it wasn't a stone building at the time. And they think, well, what the fuck? You know, like, you think you've got a volcano on your hands? Like, it's not going to do anything to a stone building. Chill out. <laughs> Except they lined all of the floors, which was called rushes, with, with weeds, basically, like straw grass yeah. to soak up. You know, smells and liquids and bodily fluid, whatever it was. I don't even want to think about it. Honestly, it's gross. But icky stuff. <sighs> and being grasses, that's super wicked flammable. And they had official fire watchers, but either somebody missed it or they got distracted or well, they were actually possessed by Satan. Who knows? Whatever. The, the castle caught fire. And... Some, you know, people just start grabbing shit. Somebody grabbed the body of the king. Somebody else grabbed up a bunch of valuables. And and the story goes that a servant threw this big book out the window to save it. And yet it survived intact. Except for possibly, (laughs) and we can talk about this later, but the last 10 pages. We'll we'll hit it on now. Yeah, that, and it supposedly landed on somebody and killed them as well, which, you know, take that as you will, I suppose. (laughs) Well, like I said, you know, we'll come back to what I think might have maybe happened there. But ultimately, you know, all of the castle's fire watchers were condemned to torture. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many of them survived that. And, you know, the the only reason we even really care other than the fact that someone threw the book out of the window and it maybe it landed on Joe who smashed him flat and whatever the hell is that people say that when you look at the book, there are shadows as though it is smoky and ash damaged on the book, but only on the pages immediately around and near Satan. Yep. That is correct. It uh, looks okay, like whatever. It burned a little bit on the edges around Next that page, up. but we'll touch on that. Yeah. Next up, 150 years later. <laughs> so again, <laughs> nice little gap period. There. Yeah. We have the last known signatures in a, of a, a Beta yes. and Jan, Beta Dudik and Jan Pajorka. And when I say signatures, uh, the one was in ni- uh, 1867 as well, and he signed it in 1850, so he got to sign it twice. When I say signed it, the very last pages of the book as it exists now, um, and as I said, it is missing the final 10 pages, but there was a long section left, one page, like the back of a page left blank. And users of the book, those who had attained the status necessary to read this, would sign their names. Mm -hmm. And 
I got to say that's pretty cool. I mean, I brag to people that my like great to the whatever the hell 13th grandfather's <laughs> brother signed the Declaration of Independence. Right? So if I had a relative that had signed this, I'd be bragging at it even more. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Fuck and, yeah. you know, and after that, I mean, it's still in Sweden. It, it mm-hmm. lives there. Sweden owns it. Um, it's no longer considered a wonder of the world because it's whoever makes up those rules makes them up and changes them and whatever. Um, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. But it's still considered pretty cool. Mm-hmm. In uh, what, 2007? Yeah. It yep. was taken back to the Czech Republic to be viewed again and just sort of revisit its homeland. It just took a trip, you know, you like to get things yeah. outside for a walk once in a while. And, um, it was seen by a whole shitload of people, but under tightly, tightly controlled situations. Like the security was super high, but also the number of people per hour was very limited. Uh, no flash photography uh, and so on. Um, then in 2014, 15, not very long ago, uh, there was an international team of scientists that each brought together fields such as graphology, which is handwriting analysis, and yep, yep. Um, linguistics, and uh, things like, uh, uh, I've lost the word, but basically the chemistry of the ink in the, and the pages involved, and uh, specialists in the Bible and in illustration they all were allowed to get their shot at it and they scanned the whole damn thing so now anybody can see it yeah yeah it's free on pdf pretty amazing it's really cool it's online you can you can check out any or all of it at any time so that's pretty much where we're at right yeah pretty much um i mean it's a one hell of a history with that book. And like you had mentioned, you know, when it came back to its quote unquote homeland, um, it was a huge fucking deal. Like there were, and yet, I mean, you know, not even on display anymore. That's how fragile and important this book is. And it's just, it's honestly impressive uh, and mind blowing all at the same time. But now we kind of got to break down some of the facts. I know my listeners enjoy when I have fast, you know, debunk shit like this. I've had to do that on a couple paranormal episodes, unfortunately. But um, let's go ahead and uh, start with the creator, I suppose, of the book. Um, you know, it is not known who the creator was, but. There is one sus. Well, actually, let's not start with the creator. Let's start with um, the actual age of the book and how long it would have actually taken to make this thing. Um, they did put it at right about 1230 as a year because one of the books one of the other smaller manuscripts inside the Codex Gigas was completed in 1229. So they know that that's possibly the earliest date that it could have been finished. And it really kind of works out with, you know, their, their research on the book and some of the, you know, 
there's some of the ink that was used, the wood, the paper, the quote unquote paper, it should say vellum, but um you know but that's icky so let's stick with paper <laughs> yeah it's pretty yeah it's pretty nasty to think about you know supposedly according to the legend there was 160 donkeys killed to make this book i mean at one point in time you know i read one of those huge like fantastic creepy articles and it was like it's it was bounded human flesh and it's like no yeah, right? it was okay. not like it really wasn't no, it certainly it really wasn't, wasn't. That. <laughs> and i mean now i did not think to follow this up but i'm skeptical about donkeys versus calfskin because not very many people eat donkeys but people oh, eat calves exactly. on a basis especially in that part of the country and so, you know, you don't, if you're going to eat it, you don't want to waste what there is. And so, you know, ca- coming, across, coming upon 160 calf skins, that's a lot easier than coming upon 160 donkey skins. Exactly. And I'm thinking, let's not complicate things. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, let's, you know, think realistically here, you know. Yeah, you know that that part's just ridiculous, I suppose. But you know the time frame wise, it does match up. Um, let's talk about the the gentleman who would have written this book. Now they have well, never. I, I, found, hang on, hang on. I would ahead. hang on. I would I would back up just to say also what I think another thing that matters and another helpful way to have dated the book is the ink that was used. And it turns out that, I mean, inks tend to be either metallic or they tend to be uh, carbon-based, which basically means crushed up either insect shells or insect nests. And in this case, they've said insect nests. And again, I would like not to think about how many insects that has. You know what? Never mind. Never mind. We're not going to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, they had like a metal. It's, yeah, they had a metal version of ink too. And what they did was each monastery had its own type of ink that they would make. And out of habit. Out of habit. Yeah. You know, that which ink that you start to learn how to use, you want to stick with it because, I mean, Justin, do you care what you write with? Do you care uh, like pencil, honestly? Pen, I'm really super fucking weird about pens. I have like this what, what weird thing where I have to literally buy pens all the fucking time. So I mean, I use like a gel tip, you know, point zero seven G two. Like seriously, okay. I you know I hate I being follow, a, I'm weird as fuck about that, no, but oh, I'm like oh seriously. God, weird I'm a about fucking that. pen snob. I, <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna tell you I, something. <laughs> And I am not trying to be an asshole, but it may happen. If When I am slumming, I use those. Those are the pens I keep in my car or my purse if I'm going out. Those are the pens that I'll leave where my kids can steal them because I really like them. They're, they're okay. But ultimately, if I lose it, I cope. I'm a fountain pen girl. Oh, yeah, yeah. And especially now that I'm not working, I can get away with being more of a snob because when I was working in the ER, man, if you don't have your pen surgically implanted, somebody's going to steal that bucket the second you put it down. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. So, so I, I, you know, that's one upside to being home on disability is that I'm allowed to become a pen snob. But yeah, so you know what I mean, though. You're you're, you're right there with me then that, that. you know, once you learn how to write something and you're as as a monk, you've taken vows of various things like chastity and like charity 
obedience, poverty, um, those all kind of assume you're not going to do a lot of moving around. You're not going to become a world traveler. Well, and, probably not. You know, no. and so therefore you become really used to one kind of ink, one kind of pen, one kind of spacing and height for your letters and one way of forming your letters. And that kind of thing. Like you kind of learn all that shit. And unless you're really forced to, you're not going to change it. Exactly. And each monastery back then had a person who was a scribe who did the writing and they have never found any other works that match this particular ink with this particular penmanship and how they check the ink was with ultraviolet light uh, each depending on what the ingredients were was a different shade of of black so that's how they pinpointed what kind of ink it was what time period and what monastery and you know it's there's i don't know i just i i do find it interesting that this has you know an author that was clearly an amateur and that's one thing that all the agree all the experts agree on like this was a person who was not a professional scribe and somebody who had never written anything before or after this book but the reason that might be is because of how long it actually took to write this book. This now, was not an overnight this, project. This was sure. not, no, because they had experts now that could do, uh, you know, just the text alone. They They laid it all out, and just the text alone would have taken at least five years. Now, with the illustrations... And some of the extra content, which, uh, you know, we'll tell you guys here in a second as some of the extra stuff, but they, they estimate it would have taken anywhere from 10 to 20 years to complete this project, which is probably a good reason why, you know, it would have taken, you know, there wouldn't have been any works before or after this. But still, it's kind of odd that it's an amateur. Goddamn hands would have fallen off. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how could they not? I mean, and this is the five years, you know, they that that's after they take into account, you know, the monks had to go to church. The monks had to eat. The monks had to sleep. You know, the monks had their charities. They had all this other stuff to do. So, you know, accumulated time-wise just the text alone five years the entire book 20 to 30 years most i think agree on like right around like 20 to 25 mm -hmm. years but 30 in the long yeah. run but tell us a little bit about some of the extra stuff that's in there besides the two huge illustrations and then the text well it's effectively all of the known knowledge for lack of a smarter phrase yeah at the time it's the encyclopedia bohemia right not not what it called but what it was it's also spectral information so meaning spells and earth-based stuff which means they were they were interacting with the travelers in the area and they were interacting with uh the pagans in the mm -hmm. area, in, in, and I believe also that if you look at the illustration of Satan, there's a heavy, heavy feel, except for the scaly aspect of it, but the, the proportions and all, there's a heavy callback 
to the fertility god Pan, mm-hmm. right? And you're coming yeah. out of the Holy Roman Emperor, and you're coming yeah. out of those influences and gods and devils and so on. And all of that pretty much is wrapped in. And that's unusual, you know, that exorcism in the Catholic Church has always been this extremely restricted, extremely rare phenomenon, as far as the rest of us know. And oh, I think for that's sure, accurate. Yeah, yeah and definitely. And the so, fact that the devil, they put the devil, the picture of the devils, they put him in an ermine loincloth, which ermine is, yeah. is, is a fabric of royalty. So it's like saying, yeah. hey, the prince of darkness, or, you know, the... the the king of hell and all this stuff. And I mean, you know, I guess when we get into theories, we'll touch a little bit of base on why he put that in there, but it's interesting too, because the kingdom of heaven picture, there's nobody in it. Like it's completely empty. It just shows the kingdom of heaven, the different levels, but with no people whatsoever. And well, yeah. And like I said, you know, that, he was a big, a big, a big fucking deal, whatever. You know, he was a big man on campus based on the fact that he earned an illustration here. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not 100% sure that that was so much a representation of the kingdom of heaven as a map. And if it was yeah. a map, then you wouldn't put people in it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? You would just be a map and so it's it's little stuff like that where it's like i don't really know you know i'm just making shit up but th- stuff like that occurs to me of uh yeah. you know who who, re- who knows but for sure at the very least the fact that this guy gets his own three foot tall almost two foot wide page okay they think he's pretty important mm-hmm. and you know and i almost wonder if it's a not so much a glorification of the devil as here's your map of heaven and here is the reason why you don't want to find out the map of hell do you yes. know what i mean yeah so there's just thoughts around it whatever can we uh, you know i think that we can safely accept that yeah it was probably 25 years not an overnight kind of oh definitely <laughs> definitely because the but, the pictures are very it's very detailed and it took time to do the color you know because you had to make the colors from you know flowers or whatever else you know more you had fucking to bugs, all that shit knows? up yeah probably more books <laughs> yeah you know and uh, and now you know one thing that that i've heard is that, you know with a lot of these estimates on how long it would take it sounds like they keep estimating like it was only one person because the graphologists kind of came back and said, well, it was only one person's handwriting. And I accept that. I do, too, actually. I do, too. But just being one person's handwriting does not mean that only one person did everything. Maybe one person did all of the calligraphy and another person did all of the lettering, you know, the the decorative lettering. Maybe one person did all the writing, but another person did the images. And then a third guy did nothing but lined the pages. Yeah, you know that's I mean? totally not out of the realm of possibility because they they literally did base all that on the handwriting itself. Mm-hmm. So you know, because well, it's not really you can. They could also, I believe that I heard that they demonstrated that the 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 illustrations, the smallest illustrations, you know, the the first letter in a new book was highly highly decorative. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, and there's little critters in there and little flowers and all kinds of decorative shit and patterns and so on. 
and that those each of those was done by the same artist but there's not a way to tie the author definitively to the artist. Yeah, for sure. You know, so it could have been a case of, okay, Joe's done with his this chapter, so he gets a month off of writing. Yeah. Because somebody else is going to, you know, because... Going to do some pictures. Whatever, Christopher is, is going to do some, go, do the picture, and then Joe will come back. I don't know. Whatever. It's all, Like I said, it's all guessing. But um, my thought, too, about this is that you don't have to start from page one knowing you're creating a great work. Mm-hmm. You can start and just okay. So the movie Forrest Gump, right? He 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 talks about the, the running back and forth across the country, but that he never set out to do that. Mm-hmm. He just got to the end of his road, and then he just kept running. Yep. And so that's I totally like when I think about that. I think this totally makes sense that here you got somebody who starts off with a pretty small project. Maybe just I'm going to write out the whole Bible. Sure you are. Yeah, so. Yeah. No, I'm going to do it. But then it starts to come together and it becomes this gorgeous piece of work and other monasteries take notice. And mm-hmm. suddenly the status of your monastery goes up and maybe you get an extra calf the next time around to yeah. help you work. And that, and that lets you, you know, and, and it builds and it builds. And ultimately by the end, you might have a whole army behind you just, yeah. just so you can keep writing. So it's a thought. No, no, it's total, totally makes sense. Like, it's totally plausible. And, like, that's half of it. It's, we don't know. And, I mean, touching on the author, we technically don't even know who the author was. Now, there's a lot of debate on whether it was, what was his name? Uh, something, something the hermit. Um, well, Sobislaus or Herman Inclusus. Her, yeah, yep. yep. Yeah, and that's uh, I mean, that the thing about like touching on what you said earlier about all these people that signed this book, you can't really say. I mean, that was one of the people who signed the book, possibly during that time period, but you can't honestly say, oh, this is who did it because. You know, there's no real record of him anywhere and, you know, all this other shit. He was one of the first ones. His signature was written in a different spot and in a different way than typically others signed it. And so they're saying, well, maybe that has some significance. And again, that's a case of like you're looking for meaning in places, you know, Wook and Penub and all the wrong places, right? No, sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you're you're looking for meaning in places, you're going to find it. Yeah, definitely. And and like it's, you know, touching on that, actually, um, the picture of the devil, you know, like some people are sitting here saying, oh, man, that's so, you know, occult and and I don't want to say racy for the time, but it's like significant. It's like, in all, yeah. And it's like in all you know, honesty, like they did that shit a lot back then, you know, like it's it wasn't uncommon, but the significance of the size of it. And the fact that the devil is pictured alone and not in like a hell setting with tortured souls, you know, and other demons surrounding him with a lake of fire and shit. The fact that it's he's standing there alone in a loincloth of a fabric made of, you know, for royalty is was significant to a lot of people. And then they look at the fact that 
the kingdom of heaven, that huge picture on that very opposite page of the devil that nobody ever mentions, you know, everybody's like, oh, this, this yeah, devil yeah. page. And it's like, dude, like, look six inches to your left, bro. Like, <laughs> there's a picture of the kingdom of heaven right beside it. But it, it, I will admit, though, it is odd that, you know, there is nobody pictured in the kingdom of heaven. And yeah, it, but it's a, what if it's a map? And what that's the thing. Of, and that's I the thing too. I can't it. even. You I know? can't even admit why I think it's odd. That's how mm-hmm. fucking scatterbrained I am about this book. Because I mean, even the spells. Like I told you guys at the beginning, I was going to touch on a little bit. The spells are for specific spells to like ward off thieves, which. I mean, in itself is very interesting, but that again adds to the legend of the book after it leaves that monastery. It's like, oh, that spell inside it was to ward off thieves, you know, and and even the other spell is, you know, pertaining to thievery. And then the demonic quote unquote exorcism section. Um, go, why don't you, you explained it really well the last time we, we uh, recorded about the actual word exorcism and then you know there's a couple of things i would say that you know about first the name herman inclusis was the name that was signed a little bit weird Mm -hmm. and i think you know people wondering where did that myth come from of a monk being walled up um well inclusis like it can be walled alive but another uh, interpretation of it can mean reclusive or dedicated mm-hmm. yeah so maybe it just meant herman the recluse maybe it just meant herman's got really fucking good writing we're gonna make herman do it yeah <laughs> so there's that good guy. Um, yeah. and i have some thoughts we can come back to later about why herman why oh why definitely definitely but when it comes to again you know here's, here's the guy who's setting out to let me self-isolate and write the best book ever Mm-hmm. Not the worst, not the evilest, whatever. And among other things, there's not like outright exorcism so much as what are called conjurations. And yes. these are okay, so an exorcism is about drawing Expelling evil out something. of a body. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it pulling it out from someone and then banishing it. Mm-hmm. A conjuration is about convincing all of the evil in the room to line up, you know, with the real MC Satan, please stand up. Yeah. Right. The, the real slim Satan, please stand up, please stand up. And and that kind of idea of like, show yourself appear in some sort of form or, or just sort of Everybody gather up over here, and then we're going to dispel it, okay? So there's a, a difference between I'm pulling it out of a human being as much as I'm warding it away from the people. I'm trying to gather up the evil and get rid of it before somebody steps in it. And okay. that, to me, is kind of an important distinction. It's similar to an exorcism in a lot of ways, but it's preventative. So Definitely. it gets that that concept that someone has been possessed and has sold their soul to the devil. And instead it flips it into a more, here's what you can do to keep yourself out of that particular bind. Yeah. Yep. That's uh pretty much exactly right. Yeah. It's uh, you know, and it's, it's so, 
I don't want to say fun, you know, but it's so fun to sit here and like think about all the details and the speculation, why this happened and why this particular person did it. And, you know, was something wrong with him? And, you know, and, you know, before we start getting into the theories of like who it might have been and why he would have done it, you know, one thing does come up is the missing 10 pages. I know I rem- you touched on that a little bit when the book was mm-hmm. thrown out of the castle window and supposedly that's exactly. when the 10 pages went missing. And then what the contents of those 10 pages might have been. I mean, it could have been <laughs> 10 extra pages of names, right? Or exactly. it could have been 10 pages of, uh, you know, I joked before about the original manuscript to the Bohemian Rhapsody, right? For real, yeah, like. Because I'm just I a poor a, boy. A Nobody loves me. <laughs> Scaramouche, Scaramouche, right? Because it's in Bohemia, right? And Freddie Mercury's kind of awesome, so. Well, a little bit. Honestly, I'm a huge Queen fan. Like, Freddie Mercury's pretty fucking badass in my book, so. He, he, he was, he was. And so, maybe, maybe it's that. I, I would accept that. Um, <laughs> I'd like it to I be that. I suspect it was maybe something fairly mundane and that whatever it was, you know, my understanding is there's not a whole lot listed about like agriculture, for instance. Yes. Yes. And that's pretty fucking important for that day and age. Back then that was extremely Um, important. So the absence of that stands out to me. Um, The absence of obviously I'm going to women in any sort of a role. I wonder if maybe, There were females listed in those 10 pages, and that and was when they, Yeah, and either they took them out or were like, well, we don't really care about this stuff, so we're just going to leave this we're, shit out. We're, we're not going to toss it. Yeah, because it ended up being rebound. I mean, there's proof well, that it was rebound. Exactly. And, but it doesn't, from what I understand, it looks a lot more like the pages were cut out. That's not actually ripped out and not, not fell out. Yeah. You know? Um, although, of course, if they had been ripped out or fell out, somebody could have trimmed them after. But I just, my feeling about it is that there's not, I, I feel like we would have a secondary whole pile, either one or a billion uh, legends about what this was. Yeah, you know, definitely. Here is the addition. And that somebody would have found it by now. I mean, oh, somebody yeah, would have sure. noticed yeah. the proportions and the handwriting because the, the guy, the graphologist, who who determined this is all the gra- the handwriting of one person? He said he's like I would recognize this writing in my sleep now, and I get that. I understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, when you become so attuned to like another person's handwriting, or like my husband is a math guy, he's a math professor and uh, a college dean, and he can recognize certain sort of proofs, you know, if yeah. you will, and questions. By how they're worded, and it's math. It's it's just just how you order the numbers, you know. Um, so if you become that attuned to your craft, I think you can you can pick stuff up like that. And so if anywhere in the history of ever a roughly three foot by roughly two foot piece of what looked like vellum that had words on it showed up, that would find a way back to the, the you know the people who either yeah. possess it or have studied it. And would have said something. So the, and, those pages yeah. were to me destroyed, you know, in for one reason or another. 
Exactly. Um, yeah. Those those would if those would have came up, they it would have been a huge deal. And if it would have if they would have fallen out, quote unquote. I love I hate how nobody can see my air quotations when I'm being fucking sarcastic, but like if it would have fallen out, like the reputation of this book alone, those people would have fucking put those back in there. You know, they would have or, been or like, ah, about yeah. it. Oh yeah, or or no, took a page, you know. Yeah, That's and then saying. yeah, and then even that we go, we touch on the the supposed burning around the edges of the only page that contains the Bible, and mm-hmm. you know, pretty much where we're at with this is this fucking material. The parchment is is vellum. You know what I mean? Like oil from fingers and light are going to make those pages fade and being on display for so long over hundreds of years like you can't help but think oh well what's the page that everybody wants to look at you know so you thumb through this thing and it's like yep this is the page that i heard so much about I, you know, it's it's science. You know what I mean? It wasn't it's, burned. It wasn't it burned. Wasn't it just burned. wasn't. It wasn't burned. If, there was no, yeah. you know, it was studied and proven that there were no like ash remnants and so yep. on. Exactly. And that you know, I mean, it, it, human skin, the oils in human skin has been proven to burn things. To mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you go to like the National Archives in D.C., where nothing's over three hundred years old, and yet you have to put gloves on. Exactly. So, There's a you know, reason for that, people. Exactly. There's a lot of acid in the oils and just degrading and yeah. you know, and that's suspect- why they take that's why they take so much care in preserving it still now. I mean, they don't even put this fucking thing on display for people to see anymore. It literally just stays in a locked room in a temperature right. controlled, moisture controlled locked room. So you can't fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. For as long as they possibly can. So, I mean, that says a lot right there. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, any uh, any other little facts or details you want to hit on before we start touching on, you know, some possible theories and then, you know, why, you know, the legend is so great and still carries on and all that stuff? I don't think so i think that from here we branch into me just purely speculating (laughs) well it's it's not pure speculation like it's everything is everything every speculation every (laughs) well i mean technically everything is because you know we don't know what the fuck happened because there's no written record of this book being written so it's like well maybe this happened maybe this but it's fun to speculate and it's fun to imagine and every theory is right until it's proven wrong. So, but still, from here, I'm not quoting someone else's speculations or yeah, pulling yeah, from no. you know research that I've seen. So much as this is me making well, guesses. That's, yeah, and that's the best part. That's what I want. That's totally what I want. That's the best part. So, like, let's hear what you have to think about. You know, maybe the person who wrote it, why they wrote it. Um, and all that good stuff. Let's see what you got, Kate. I think he had to. Okay. And there's different ways to interpret had to, but I don't think that this is a book that was created of free for will. the hell of it. Yeah. You know, yeah, this is just on my off time. I mean, for one, 
Monks had also their sort of monkly, monkey duties. <laughs> uh, monkey duty. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I'm easily amused. It's okay. It's um, okay. But they had not just that, but there's also just, this is a hard life back then. It's I mean, a very hard life. labor, phys- heavy physical labor. It was a big goddamn process to use the bathroom because there was no bathroom. You know, there's no such thing as a midnight snack. There's just, I mean, this is for, for everybody. These peasants had to work this way. You know, royalty had hard lives even compared to now. And now you look at a monk who has had, you know, vows of poverty and obedience and self-flagellation and hair shirts and shit like that. Oh, and, you know, sure, and these yeah. monks were considered, especially the black monks were considered the Benedictine, particularly either pure or rigid, yes. depending on, yes. you know, sort of who you ask. And so... This person, let's call him Herman. Let's go with Herman because I like that. Herman was my father-in-law's name, so let's go with Herman. Um, good. Yeah, um, he was a complete my father-in-law, complete asshole. So I loved him. He was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Herman here, he, if anything, I think instead of saying like I'm going to write a book that contains everything ever when he started out, yeah, he may definitely. have sat down. And said, please leave me alone. Let me self-isolate and write the best book ever. I don't think he ever set out to write the worst or evilest book. And I think you'd be appalled to think that his work is associated only primarily with that one page. So people seem to struggle most. I'm going to go with the, the thing that hits me the most. And then we can go. We can branch off from there if you want. Yeah, definitely. But what people seem to struggle the most with is... How could one person do all this writing over the span of 30 years? But I'm 40. So I've been writing about 35 years, right? Give or take on average. And I can still write. But then the step beyond that is that I had to learn how to rewrite. Relearn how to write. There you go. Um, Mm -hmm. In 2010. So I got very, very sick after I had gave birth to my third child. And I spent yeah. a week and a half in a coma and nobody really knew what was going on, but it was, I mean, bad. I was on life support, blah, blah, blah. 13 surgeries while I was in the coma. So who really knows <laughs> what mm-hmm. happened? It, I mean, just a lot went wrong. And ultimately I got better. I seem to be alive still now. So fantastic. But mm-hmm. when I woke up, I had what's called partial word aphasia, which does, which aphasia means you can't speak because you've lost your words. <laughs> yeah. I, mine was partial because I didn't lose all my words, but I lose, lost enough to piss me off on a daily basis, you know, because it would be like, I, I just need that thing right there. And, I, and I'm pointing at my drink and I can't find any words for it because one of the problems with my brain is that it's sort of become more uh, procedural. You yes, know, things have to happen in a certain order in a certain way, and then they have to be finished when they're done. A little bit OCD um, since then. Another thing that I lost was my ability to walk at all. Uh, I could not bear weight at all. And even when I could, my cerebellum was super pissed off that I had just taken a week and a half long nap. And so I was terribly busy, dizzy for days and days. And then on top of that, I had forgotten completely how to handwrite. So I could type but I could not write things. 
And I had to relearn letter by letter by letter. And still now, eight years later, when I write, if I'm lucky, if everything sort of aligns in my brain and I'm not too terribly stressed out, I can yeah. sort of scribble notes. You know, I can I can get messy. But if I'm stressed out, my handwriting is perfect because mm-hmm. I can't think about anything except what I'm writing. But then it becomes sort of compulsive. And once I relearned my alphabet, I learned, I knew how to spell things. I just didn't know how to write them. And so once I relearned my alphabet, I started asking for journals and I would get blank journals and fill them from front to back. And I probably filled three or four in the first two months. Um, Not really writing anything, but I was terrified for one that I was going to lose my ability to write again. And for another, I was practicing, practicing, practicing to get better at this. And so I think about that. I don't think there's any evidence anywhere that this particular guy went through anything remotely like that. But I, what I think about is I get it. Mm-hmm. The feeling of like sort of compulsively writing with it. Yeah. You don't even have like to have OCD. Have to. I was never you diagnosed with OCD, but that feeling of like this has to get done. And, you know, either it could be an offshoot of OCD, which we call hypergraphia, meaning you can't stop writing. Yes. Or it could be something more on my like sort of compulsive, like I was afraid I would forget. So hypergraphia is is a case of like you feel like if you write enough stuff down, you will survive the day. And mm-hmm. I'm not speaking like in hyperbole. I mean that's really really what that brain feels like. Exactly. You know, the person's not so much being ridiculous. It's that's what their brain thinks. I mean, how are you supposed to override what your brain is telling you? It really believes if you don't write this list again, you're going to die. Oh, yeah. The brain is a very, very powerful thing. No shit. So, I mean, so it could be that, that style, that feeling of compulsive writing. I have to do this. So I'm going to copy first the the holiest books and then I run out of those. So I'm sort of going to copy the secondary books. And so ultimately I'm going to be writing down fucking recipes because I'm going to write whatever I can write. Or it could be like, like I said, with mine, I, I was terrified i would lose that skill again and so i needed to practice and practice whenever i could or it could be a case of herman had good handwriting and he realized that while his hand's going to cramp him up and his back's going to be sore staying in one position it's fucking easier to do this than work out in the fields so mm-hmm. i'm going to take this on as my life's work to god my magnum opus mm-hmm. right um and so once Everybody else realized he was pretty serious and he was pretty good at it. And his handwriting does stay pretty damn good. And how do you stay focused? Well, you practice. Maybe you you sketch it out at night, you know, and and sort of just scratch it in the dirt or whatever. You practice and then you do it out in calligraphy neatly. Yeah, because and the reason she's saying that is because there were no practice pages ever found. There were no mistakes in the actual book. There were no omissions in the actual book. So, yeah, the whole the whole practicing before you're actually putting it in the book would would make sense because this book is just insane. It's crazy. It is. It is. But I mean, I'll tell you, I one of the things that I would write was song lyrics. Mm -hmm. I would write out lyrics to my favorite songs. And that was a test of both my ability to write it and my ability to recall the lyrics. Yeah. Right? I was doing sort of constant memory tests on myself because I was looking to find where's the next hole, where's the next gap, because the worst experience was not so much. So another thing that I had, I have complete 
amnesia for approximately a year prior to going into the coma. So I don't remember my pregnancy. I don't remember a trip to Paris. I don't remember a lot of things that were pretty important in that Mm -hmm. period of time. Um, I don't remember moving from New Hampshire to Salem, things like that. And, you know, I don't even know what to list because I don't remember it, (laughs) as it were. But the worst thing for me was not knowing that's there. Like, I know that gap is there. I can cope with that. I can do what yeah. I can to learn stories about it. Like I used to, I used to blog extensively. So I have stories from those days. I have photos that I can study closely until I learn them until they feel like they're mine. But if I don't know the gap is there, then I don't know it's there. And then you're just wandering along and you're talking and somebody's like, Oh yeah, didn't you know this? And I'm like, what? You know what I mean? It's this worst, mm-hmm. this horrible bang right up against a brick wall feeling, you know, monks, for instance, were expected to practice Bible verses and be able to recite them at length. Well, my Bible verses were song lyrics, mm-hmm. sort of. You know that, that that's what draws me to bands and to songs is the the words that they use as much as the music that they play. And so I would I would listen, I would write out song lyrics to see do I have it? Do I have it? Do I have it? And so I could see this starting off as almost sort of a practice exercise of can I really recite this whole Bible book? Not just verse, but the whole book by myself. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's that too. So there was a certain degree of practice that probably went in, like scratching it in the dirt or whatever, you know, a few lines at a time. Mm-hmm. But and then going on the page. But there was probably also a certain amount of like, here's someone who has spent his whole life training here, you know, and all of us have our you know, our things yeah. that are, are most important, but you but also just like your field, your jargon, right? Mm-hmm. Your whatever field you work in, you have a certain language that other people don't speak necessarily and that you have to learn. That's what training is. And so that's his training and that's his life's work. And so it doesn't shock me as much that there's no errors because if he didn't have a whole lot of distractions being Herman the Recluse, right? And Mm -hmm. he got a little bit of practice in and he knew this material cold. Well, you know, making a mistake would have been weird, frankly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it probably would have if he would. I think if he would actually if touching on your theory, I think if he would actually made a mistake in the manuscript himself like that would have just. Devastated him to the point where, you know, Kill me a it new cow. drove him crazy. Yeah, like go fucking I'm starting all the way over again. Whole page, whole page gone. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely makes sense. You know, I can't say whether, you know, he was forced into it or if it was something that he wanted to do or. Right. Like I said, you know, I I feel like he had to. And when I, like I said that before, you know, whether someone forced him out of punishment, someone assigned him this Mm -hmm. job, whether he felt internally driven, compelled Mm -hmm. because of hypographia or because of fear of losing, you know, but I don't think he ever, I don't think. I don't think you should look at a, a work this large as choice. Yeah. Um, I think I think artists are driven by a different mm-hmm. motor than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter is just, she's going to start college in the fall. And she's an artist and she's insane, incredible, you know, wh- whatever. I could draw happy faces and we're done. So mm-hmm. she's got this crazy skill. And not too long ago... Because of a bad teacher at school, and I, when I say bad, I mean the woman is glad I didn't kick her ass. Uh, 
she had a, an interaction where Emily ended up calling me on the walk home from school, which we literally live less than a quarter mile from the high school. So for Emily to call me on our walk home was a big deal saying my math teacher just I, I she just said she doesn't think I'm smart enough for college. So maybe I can't handle college. And, you know, as a mom, like I said, my first reaction is to want to go kill the math teacher. But the bigger issue is that what my kid needs to hear from me is, okay, we can cope with this. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever you bring to me, we can cope with this. Even if I don't (laughs) really believe myself when I'm saying it, but still we can cope. We will get through this. I can handle this. You can handle this. It'll be okay. And I talked to her about, okay, so let's imagine you get a job at the mall or at, at Target or at, you know, McDonald's or whatever. Would you be able to not do art then? Because Emily's an artist. Like, that's the first word she uses to describe herself. She's, you know, and, and she, she's like, no, I, I, always, I would always be an artist. I would always draw no matter what. I just don't know if I can do the math. And I'm like, all right, we can handle the math. We can get you through that. That's not a problem. You know, but you have to decide. Do you want a job? with a hobby or do you need this to be your life? And she's like, I can never not do it. So I need it to be my life. Right. And that's, I think what this Herman guy who's up against was mm-hmm. I, you know, I need to do this because either because of a, like a sort of mental illness, OCD sort of compulsion, or just because like, I feel so called, I feel so driven yeah, I have yeah. to do this. Yes. But this wasn't a hobby. You know, this wasn't a, for fun. Well, yeah, and just it was something that whether it was on a spiritual level or a mental level, it was something that he had to do. And it's not, you know, for me personally, when I look at it, if you're voluntarily and I use the word voluntarily because people were forced into monasteries, depending on, you know, social status. Mm -hmm. Like if you voluntarily are going to dedicate yourself to this lifestyle then it's not out of the realm of possibilities that you're going to dedicate your the, your life to a manuscript of this magnitude because i think ori- when when whoever wrote it originally set out to write it they knew exactly what they wanted to do I yeah, mean, no, this is not a haphazardly set out sort of book yeah i think they set out from day 1 and i think because a lot of the debate in this, too, is that the original monastery that this is said to have came from was not a financially secure enough monastery to embark on a project like this. You know, so it would have been impossible, you know, for things to be supplied to this certain scribe. But then, like I had mentioned earlier, this was a community of monasteries. So if you had one one particular guy who said, I want to do this, and they got all the monasteries together and, you know, pulled in, you know, all the materials and all the stuff that they needed. I think that was very possible. But a lot of people like to say, you know, it was penance, you know, it, it repentance. It was, it was, you know, he, he had to do this to kind of, you know, get whatever was inside him out, you know, not necessarily pay tribute to it, but kind of exercise his own personal demons, if that would make sense. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's, so, that's, that's not a whole lot different from OCD, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's another thing about the quote-unquote exorcism, you know, is, you know, passages in there are the fact that you got to think of this time period. This was the early 13th century. Like, you could have fucking epilepsy. You could have Which I OCD. Do. You could fucking have all kinds of weird shit. And automatically you are possessed by the fucking devil or demons Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you need to get exercised. So, you know, it it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to believe that he himself was like, you know, had this OCD or, you know, if, if, if it was an OCD, you know, he could be like, I'm possessed myself. I need to do this so that, you know, I can get to the, you know, the gates of heaven and all this stuff. But on the other flip side, it's like, you know, look at Vincent Van Gogh. Nobody forced him into anything. And he tirelessly spent his life creating works of art. You know, look at, you know, some of the writers out there today, you know, I mean, Ernest Hemingway. I mean, that dude was a troubled motherfucker. He had a lot of problems, Mm -hmm. but the writing helped him cope with that. And it was something he knew. You have to. Yeah, to be an artist, you see the world at least a little bit differently than the rest of us. Exactly. And that's not easy. It's not all easy, at least. You know, it Uh, might be partially an okay way to live, but there are aspects of that that are really, it's hard not to be normal. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I think, you know, whether. You know, this was something that he embarked on out of, you know, the pure fulfillment for himself. Like, you know, I'm going to praise God this much and I'm going to make our monastery, I'm going to glorify our monastery, like, so it'll be forever remembered. And in all honesty, it fucking worked because. Yeah, right. I mean, we're still talking about it. I mean, 800 years later. And that's something you're talking about is like, is the the whole you know oh this this monastery would not have had the resources again you i think when i hear people say that it's like they forget that you don't need to start out with the resources to forget to finish mm-hmm. it you just need the resources to start it mm-hmm. and that doesn't take very much necessarily no, and the fact and, that the uh, the monastery ended up going broke you know hard telling if you know, financing this yeah, book was part of Everybody that. went broke. How many years longer did they say solvent because of this oh, yeah. than they otherwise would have been? You know, no, exactly. I, it's just a lot of those sorts of that. That's more buying into the mythology and urban legends of it all. Yes. Yes, most definitely. And I mean, don't get me wrong, like the legend of it, there is obviously some truth to it, like we had just discussed, you Mm -hmm. know, and there are some things that are just, you know, fantastical, fucking written in one night by a monk who was sentenced to death, you know, and he sold his soul to the devil. And it's like, you know, wherever it started, you know, and then, of course, the the reputation of it after that, you know, the fact that, you know, every everywhere this place went was, you know, ridden with bad luck and the plague and, you know, the the 30 years war and a castle burning down and all this other shit. It's like, look at the the time frame here, you know, and put this shit into perspective. Seriously. (laughs) 
Find me something yeah. else that is 800 years old that is yeah. not associated with bad things. Yeah. And I mean, by the time of the fucking 30 years war, this thing was already 200 years old or not even 200, I should say 400 years old. So it's wait, no, 1448 or 1648. Fuck. I can't remember. Um, but I mean, it's, it's already, uh, uh, it was 400 years old by then. Okay. Yeah. yeah, It was 400 years old already. Okay. A couple of bad things happened within 400 fucking years. But it survived 400 years. Look at the U.S. Exactly. Jesus Christ. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's, I mean, it's, and don't get me wrong, like, yeah, there's a couple of things that, that can be debunked about this. And there's, there's still a couple of things that are a straight up mystery, you know, like the reasons behind it, you know, who did it, you know, yep. what's the significance and, and of this thing, that thing. I never have answered. And that's. That's both cool and terrible. Like, I think it's cool that we're never going to have those questions answered. Yeah. And I don't think we should know everything. For real, yeah. You know, you yeah. wouldn't have a goddamn podcast if we knew everything. But you know what I mean. Exactly, like, exactly. It's better not to. Yeah, I agree. It's just, you know, it's fun to speculate and theorize. And you, I don't know, I'm just more into things that are unsolved because... You know, there's no resolution and it's fun to see what other people think about it and, it, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, I think that's where a lot of the legend got formed, you know, and of course the mysterious 10 missing pages, like why were they taken out? What was on them? You know, it's just all these tiny little things added up and it's just like this great legend. And, you know, like well, I said, it's a surviving thing. And, and, you know, I was playing around with you know what are the cra- what's the craziest and, and this is these are things i didn't read but things i tried to come up with of like what would be the craziest possible explanation you know but still within the realm of like logic or within the realm of my experience my my mm-hmm. professional experience and so like one of the things i wondered is if herman had a chronic illness you know had some sort what? of chronic pain thing oh or yeah for sure if he had a chronic illness chronic pain or if he was limited you know his musculature was not as strong or yeah, yeah. if he was real short maybe or missing a you know maybe he's missing his left hand or yeah. something or you know some sort of reason why he would be first of all farmed off to a monastery and not kept on the farm or in the royal family either way and second of all why he would choose this instead of other possible ways of glorifying god Mm-hmm. And I wondered about that. Um, I talked about the OCD idea. One of my, my, my most extreme, as far as poor Herman is concerned, uh, idea is whether he suffered from priaprism, which yeah, for yeah. those listening that aren't familiar is uh, chronic erection. And not in the form of there's an old, in, in, I doubt, Justin, that you are old enough to remember this. I, I shouldn't be, but my parents were real young, so fine. Um, there's an old SNL sketch about what's all this about the presidential erection and so you know this idea of if he experienced you know he had taken about chastity but if there was something wrong with his blood pressure or something wrong with his brain that was resulting in erections in a monk that's not okay no and the other monks are going to pick up on it through your robes and so maybe here's a way of first of all writing away the guilt that that comes associated with that and secondly hiding under a table you know so yep. uh, you know we go all the way up to uh you know from 
punishment from upon high, you know, from from the abbot or whatever, from the head of the monastery mm-hmm. to the guy gets an erection too many times. You know, I'm all over the place. We'll bring it. Lock him kid. up. Uh, yeah, and you know, I have I've been married for almost 18 years myself, and I had two boys and two girls, and mm-hmm. so if frequent erection was the cause of imprisonment then i would be home with two girls <laughs> so i understand oh yeah definitely you know and none of the men i live with have preaprism they're just men oh yeah i mean I, yeah you know it is what it is <laughs> it is what it is so that's what i'm saying though is that that is what it is and you can have an erection without being thinking about sex you know and if you get someone though who doesn't fully understand that and who's appalled by it extra in some way and decides, look, every single morning that I wake up with an erection, I'm gonna write a page of the book. So right. I have thoughts. I have yeah. thoughts. It was fun. And you know, and I appreciate you letting me come play like this, because this is obviously not my real house. Yeah. But I can make shit up anywhere. It's good. Yeah. So um why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Um, I, my podcast is called Ignorance Was Bliss. I'm an IWB podcast on everywhere, Facebook and Twitter and on, uh, Podbean and so on. And most of my stuff is about psychology, forensic psychology specifically and true crime. I, I am a former forensic psychologist as well as I've done crisis work and I've worked in prisons as a correctional psychologist and, I've been on disability since 2010, uh, 2014 rather, because I broke my back. So I have all kinds of shit go wrong with me. And now I sit at home and I listen to podcasts and I answer (laughs) people's questions out loud on my couch, you know, months after you've recorded it. And I finally decided, you know what, if I want anybody to actually listen to the answers that I'm making up, um, I got to make my own show. And so I started on February 1st um, and it's going pretty well. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. I'm glad you decided to join me. Oh, it's a great time. I I, I was thrilled. I've been all fangirly about it. You have no idea. Oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making it up at all. No, people. uh, Justin Rimmel, dude, you have no idea. He's not even going to see me. You know. (laughs) But But still, and uh, and for me, when I say that I'm fangirling, I'm fangirling because you have a solid product. You know, there are a lot of podcasts out there, which means there's a lot of shitty ones out there. There's about fucking five new ones once a week, dude. (laughs) So I, I have, I, I know, I appreciate that you have a big backlog, and I appreciate you do a decent job. Yeah, I actually uh, recently celebrated my two-year anniversary um, after I changed my feed when I joined a network. Um, I lost all my subscribers, all my reviews, and my original start date. Um, but yeah, April April 16th, or April 14th, I believe, 2016 was the day I dropped my first episode. And it's been a fun ride, you know. I've learned a lot of shit. First episodes are cringeworthy, not going to fucking lie. Well, on that note, you want to usually after uh, episodes, I do read a couple reviews and I have like five here. Would you like to hang on and have some fun with these for me? There's no one star reviews. Sorry to disappoint everybody.
I only got one from Sweden. It's uh, April 13th, 1988. This guy from named Simon. Well, no, it's not Simon. I don't know Simon. Okay. okay. Well, you know my name is Simon. No, you can, you can know Simon. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I can't pronounce your last name, bro. Um, I'm really sorry about that. I'm not going to try because I'll probably end up fucking it up. But it's five stars and it says great podcast. And I appreciate that very, very much. And um, straight to the point, kind of like I like to do most of the time. And can't really beat that. And uh, here we're going to switch over to the UK for Sherwood 900. Five stars. It says fantastic podcast, a review that is definitely five stars. Says, love the podcast, new listener. The topic and research is brilliant, and the host is very easy to listen to voice. Plus, love the one-star reviews at the end. Good work. Love it. And then a smiley face, winky face, smiley face, because people know I love emojis. So I love emojis and the stuff like in memes. Like, that's my thing. But, no, I appreciate it. I put a lot of work into the research and stuff, and I'm glad people can uh, can appreciate that as well. I suppose we can head over to the U.S. You got your uh, iTunes? Uh, iTunes is up, yep, which is your most. I Uh, I don't know which one. The newest three are from Glenglow, Ray LaFond, and Harry Pothead 420, which, by the way, fucking love that username. Greatest thing ever. And, you know, clearly, clearly (laughs) he chose the 420 based on his birthday, which we just missed. So happy birthday, Harry. Yes, obviously, Harry (laughs) Pothead. Thank you, sir. But, uh, yeah, you can can take it. I would like to read his if I could. The show isn't polished. The sound is level and clear, but it's not some podcast junk. The show is a guy talking about a subject. He has started doing some deep type investigation stuff and i dig that for sure the best part of the show is he does listen to feedback even if sometimes he should not i still don't know what harry means by the end of it but it's five stars and it's positive and it's a good username so rock on harry yeah well what he means is i listen to a lot of feedback whether it's positive or negative and i get down on myself a lot and I acknowledge bad reviews and good reviews all equally the same. That's why uh, that one review, Sherwood 900, said she loves the one stars. Because when I read one star reviews, I get savage as fuck on these people. So, I, you know, and I also, I mean, uh, to be fair, to the absolutely anonymity thing bothers me. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah. You know, the lack of. Like, you're, you don't have to go back. Like, if you give a one-star review, you don't have to go back in a month just to confirm. Do you know what I mean? So there's mm-hmm. there's no responsibility for it. You can drop shit and run. And, you know, I mean, I hate even more than a low-star review because I have not gotten one that is both low stars and negative words. For sure, but yeah. I have gotten one that's just one star. And I'm like, you went through the effort of placing a rating just to drop it and run. And I'm not bitching about, like... I didn't pay them for the review. They didn't pay me for the podcast. And it is what it is. It's more just about like what 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 kind of negative day are you having? I know, right? You know you that you need to share <laughs> that kind of unhappiness with me and run away. Like you can't even have words for it. Like I'm sorry, and I hope you get help. But you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, that's me. And you need a fucking hug, but not from me. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Not gonna happen. Um, I'll do Ray Lafond. You can do Glenn Gillow. 
five stars says great podcast. I found this show from Ohio and Hillbilly Horror Stories, which we just did a live show in Cincinnati um, last weekend, which was fucking awesome. Uh, sold that place out. It says That's I first awesome. found Jesse James part one. I have listened to Jesse James part one and two twice and uh, Billy the Kid three times each segment. I have listened to other episodes, but wow, those two American Outlaws are fascinating to me, and I can't get enough. I hope you continue with Outlaw episodes, even Wyatt Earp. Again, great episode. And um, you know what, Ray LaFond, I I believe that I acknowledged you on the uh, – I replied to you back on the Facebook page when you suggested that. And, and, and just because, like, I fucking dig those episodes, those are so fun to research, and I got such great feedback – even though it would be a strictly history and facts episode and nothing really mysterious, I am totally going to fucking do Wyatt Earp and I'm going to do the fuck out of that episode. Just like I did Jesse James, the first two parts, which you guys haven't heard. Well, if when this gets released, you'll hear part three, cause I'm releasing part three before this, but uh, I can't thank you enough, man. Those were fun episodes to do. And the feedback was fucking awesome. Uh, the research was fun. Oh, and you did, stupid, you did, you did an, an amazing crop. And you know, the Wyatt Earp, I'm looking forward to myself. Bring oh. it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of research going on there. That's why uh, Jesse James part three is three has taken almost three weeks now. But thank you, Ray. I appreciate that immensely, good sir. Next one's pretty short and to the point, ain't it, Kate? Yeah, oh, but it, it is short. It's, it's short into the exclamation point. I love it. Because it reads, it reads, love, love this podcast. New listener, love this podcast. Great cases. Looking forward to many more, which is yes. just amazing. I love you the know? excitement. And I'm I right love there the with excitement. Them. Hey, well, you know, that's a lot of exclamation points. I, I talk with my hands a lot, and I know that I speak in exclamation points, but I never write them. So, oh, I do. I'm going to glow. No, I uh, I usually never even put less than one exclamation point, to be honest with you. I'll put five or six of them motherfuckers in there. <laughs> so if I'm trying to make a point, those will bang, get it bang, across. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're pretty much bullets just hitting you. But no, uh, I look forward to many more as well. I got, honestly, some really fucking cool episodes coming up here in the very near future. And I think uh, that's pretty much all the Hang reviews, no, Kate. No, no, you're missing one. No, it is not. Which one? Or what country? Okay, so it is in the U.S. It's actually out of Salem, Massachusetts. Shut the fuck up. Are you doing this right now? Sam. Oh, Jesus. I can't wait. And she's like, it's out of Salem, Massachusetts? Just just hold on one second here. <laughs> Let me pull some almost trickery. Like, almost, almost I am. I'm like, witchcraft. Witchcraft. <laughs> Let me pull you. That's Let me pull some, uh, what is happening out of Salem. And how many exclamation points? Five or six? Yeah. Yeah, I'll that. take I'll take okay. five. I mean, I'm not greedy. Okay. Okay. No, I think I don't even know. You can count them. All right. So, clicking on submit. And sorry, I haven't reviewed before. Then I should have, and I just didn't. All right. I hate this about iTunes. I don't know what it showed it to you yet. So just. <laughs> it, it usually takes about twelve to twenty-four hours to actually show. That up. would be too long, I think, to sit and wait for it to show up. So. Yeah, the title of this review that you apparently just can't see. Maybe you're just lazy. I don't know. Well, I don't have Blind iTunes. Out. But the title of this one says "Set aside a big, big block of time." Justin prides himself on extensive research, and rightfully so. He is just funny enough to be avoid being boring, 
and just relaxed enough to avoid being pedantic. Rock star as fuck. <laughs> Love it. Did you actually write out fuck? No. Okay, good. Because yeah. they won't post it. I've had, yeah, I've had people say, dude, I posted this. I'm like, I know you want to say, like, it's fucking cool. You got to put some stars in there. Like, they won't, you know, put the asterisks in there. They won't, they won't post it with profanity. I don't know that yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I've, I'm an Android guy for life. So, like, I've never left yeah. a review for anybody, so I don't know exactly how it works, but I just do know that. Because I've had people literally message me, and they're like, dude, it won't post my review. And they'll take a screenshot and send it to me, and it's like, yeah, no profanity, dude. Like, throw some asterisks in there or something. Well, Kate, in response to your review, thank you very, very much. And uh, you're fucking awesome. Oh, you did awesome. just get another one. Did he I? did. No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hang on. Hang on. It's hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Most recent. I'm looking at it backwards just in case. No, sorry. 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 It's showing. It's it's showing me. It's showing me that I have sent it, but it's not showing mine yet. <laughs> okay. So. I was like, good God, that's hell of timing right there. Choices, you know, we had to talk about. I was like, I got these true crime cases. Like, what do you want to do? True crime, paranormal, occult, you know, because I'm all about mysterious shit, whether it's true crime, mysteries, paranormal. I don't care. I love it all. And out of all of them, I did not think you were going to pick paranormal, but I'm glad that you did because it was super fucking fun. And I hope you but had it, fun. I did. And I liked doing something that was not among the norm for me. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I always if get there's other stuff I can help with ever. Give me a call. You know, oh, I'm sure. around all the time and, you know, rock stars fuck, like I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll take it as a compliment, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sitting you here. Take rolling. Home, Justin I literally you just can... rolled my eyes so fucking hard. I think I hurt my neck, but oh. I will take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> there. All right, Kate, I suppose uh, we'll go ahead and sign off and uh, I will uh, see all you on the flip side and Kate, thank you very much again. It is, is very much pre appreciated and it's been a pleasure working with you. So it's been fantastic. Anytime. Thank you. Have a good oh, night. No problem. You have a good night too.